0: Today we're going to do throughout that May another major story of Surah Kaaf, which is the story of Sayyidina Musa a. and Sayyidina Khizer, either salam or radiallahu anhu. You will understand that in a few moments. All right. Ideally, we would want you to follow along, but Okay. Shall so if we can, I'll read it out to you, and then at some point, maybe inshallah, we'll be able to get this to work and you can follow along. What I'm going to do today is I'm going to show you a little bit of exactly how Tafsir works. And what you're going to see today is two things. One is what we call Tafsir Bil Hadith. You're going to see the Ahadith that are used to comment on a surah. And I'm going to be more specific uh, in showing them to you and demonstrating them to you. It's off. yeah. So the first thing is using a hadith, and the second thing is I want to show you how the mufassirin extract what we call Masail or Ma'arif from the Qur'an al-Karim. Because many times people wonder what, what exactly is in those big books of Tafsir. It's not just hadith. I'm going to show you the hadith obviously that go into Tafsir commentary, but today I'm going to show you what those other things are that are in the Tafsir books. So we're here on Surah number 18, Surah Al-Kaf, and we're mentioning here. From uh, we're going to start from Surah number uh, verse number 60 onward. Recall when Musa said to his young man, "I shall not give up until I reach the meeting point of the two seas, or else I shall go on traveling for years." Take al the hukuba. So when they reached the meeting point of the two seas, they forgot their fish. And made its, and it made its way into the sea as in a tunnel. When they went further, he said to this young man, "Bring us our morning meal. We have indeed had much fatigue from this journey of ours." He said, "You see, when we stayed at the rock, I forgot the fish. It was none but Shaitan who made me forget it to tell you about it. And it made its way into the sea in an amazing manner." Sinanul says some said that that was what we were looking for, so they returned retracing their footsteps. Then they found one of our servants whom we blessed with the mercy from us and whom we gave knowledge and knowledge from our own. So let me explain this to you. Sayyidina Musa uh, the hadith that mention this are in the Sahih of Bukhari and the Sahih of Muslim. And this is actually one event in the Qur'an of karim in which he happened to have a lot of hadith on this topic. So from these two sources, what emerges is that Sayyidina Musa was once addressing his people, the Bani Israel. And after he addressed them, somebody from the Bani Israel asked him that is there anybody with more ill than you, O Prophet Musa? And Sayyidina Musa responded that no, there is nobody who has more ill than me. And this in of itself is a proper statement, proper either being the Nabi zaman It would be a correct statement to make that nobody has more ill than you. However, you would notice earlier in this surah, Allah wa ta'ala taught Sayyidina Rasulullah that when you say something you should say, InshaAllah. So here Sayyidina Musa a.s. should have said rather, Allahu Atlam, that towards to the best of my knowledge, I've not yet met anybody who knows more than me, but Allahu Atlam, Allah is all knowing, he would know better whether there is anybody who indeed knows more than me or not. So as the Sahidith mentioned that at that moment Allah wa ta'ala revealed, sent revelation that O oh, my Prophet, indeed there is somebody who on this earth whom we have granted the knowledge, the like of which we have not granted you. So Sayyidina Musa said somewhere, can I meet him? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that you may meet him at the congruence or confluence, at the meeting of two seas. You should take a dead fish with you. And when you reach the point where you can meet this person, this dead fish will come back to life and jump into the sea. Now, that is the context of this. Now, let's read this again. So, what Sayyidina Musa does, he says to his young man, this is also a prophet, Sayyidina Yusha A.S. He decided to take another prophet, who was a young man at the time, Yusha a. sallam, along with him, and says to him that, I shall not give up, Musa sallam, until I reach the meaning point of the two seas, or else I should go on traveling for years. In other words, he embarks on this quest, that I'm going to go and find this person who has more knowledge than me, even if it takes me years to find that person. So when they reached the meeting point of the two seas, when they reached their meeting point, they forgot about their fish. They weren't paying attention because they had been traveling for a long time. They weren't watching the fish every moment of their journey. So they forgot about the fish and the fish jumped. It made its way into the sea as in a tunnel. Then they continued, when they went further, Musa said to his young man, to Yusha, that bring us our breakfast, our morning meal. We have indeed had much fatigue from this journey of ours. At that point, what happens in the Hadith Men's that Yusha actually saw the fish jump into the sea. And he was so amazed by the fish coming back into life and the way the fish dived into the sea and what the Quran is saying, it made a tunnel. And you can imagine that it dived in and it made a kind of a vacuum tunnel for itself and went in a particular direction. That he was so bewildered that he lost his senses and he totally forgot the next morning to tell Musa what he had seen. So as they travelled later Musa said that you know I'm very wary, at that point you shall remember. So he said that you see, when we stayed at the rock, I forgot the fish. It was none but Shaitan who made me forget it to tell you. forget to tell you about it. So that's another thing that him also being a prophet, he's saying that Shaitan made me to forget, right? And I forgot to tell you and we've gone too far. It made its way into the sea in an amazing manner. Musa Sam then responds That was what we were looking for That was the sign That's the sign that we're going to find this person So they return Retracing their footsteps Alright So they go back Then Allah Ta'ala continues that Then they found one of our servants Whom we blessed with mercy فَوَجَدَا أَبَدًا مِنْ إِبَادِنَا That the two of them found an abd, A servant مِنْ إِبَادِنَا From amongst my servants آتَيْنَاهُ رَحْمَةً مِنْ إِنْدِنَا That we bestowed mercy From our own self وَأَلَمْنَاهُ مِنْ لَدُنَّا إِلْمَا And then we bestowed upon him knowledge from our own being. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala directly sent, this is a very famous thing which later on becomes known as Ilmil Ladunni. And I will come back to this concept of Ilmil Ladunni. Ilmil Ladunna Ladun means from Al-Min Janibillah. Ladun is another word for Janib from the part of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Musa salam goes up to him and says, right, uh, that may I have your company? So that you teach me some of the rightful knowledge that you have been given. That person said, whose name is Khizr, uh which comes in the brief, his name is Khizar, that you can never bear with me patiently. You will never be able to have patience with me. You will not be able to travel with me and be patient at the things that I do. Musa alayhi says that you will find me patient, right? Inshallah. So now, he, <laughs> this journey has made him realize that he has to say these things like, Allahu alim, Inshallah. So he says, Inshallah, you will find me patient. If Allah Ta'ala wills And I shall not disobey any order from you The Khizar says that Well if you follow me Then do not ask me about anything Do not ask me the reasons about what I do Unless I myself tell you about it So they both moved ahead Until when they boarded a boat, a ferry Then what happened when they boarded this ferry To cross the river Khizr destroyed one of the planks of the ferry Musa said that Have you destroyed the plank to to drown the people in the boat? You have indeed done a terrible act. he questioned the action of Khizr, which is exactly what he said he wouldn't do, Khizr responded that did I not say that you can never bear with me personally? <laughs> that did I not tell you that you will never be able to have sabr with me? So, Musa yislam, said he apologized. <laughs> that do not call me to account, do not do my mu'akhzah, do not call me to account for what I forgot. And do not make my course too difficult for me. And let give me another chance. Fine. They continued. So they moved ahead until they met a boy. And Khizr killed that boy. Murdered that boy. Musa Islam was stunned. And he said that did you just kill an innocent soul. And that person had not himself committed murder. You have committed a heinous act indeed. Khizr responded again that did I not tell you that you can never bear with me patiently. Do not ask me what I do. You don't have the suburb to do it. Musa then realized that he's messed up twice. So what does he say? He says, if I ask you about something after this, then do not allow me your company. Making a deal, right? That is, let me stay with you, but I myself will say that if I ask you another question, if I ask you another question, right, uh, do not allow me your company. You have now reached a point where you have a valid excuse to part with me from my side. I give you ikhtiar, that if I ask you again, you can justifiably... Part for me and cancel this teacher-student relationship. Then they moved ahead. And then the third incident happens. They came to a particular town. And because they'd been traveling for a long time, they were weary. They were hungry. So they asked the people of the town for food. But the townspeople refused to host them. Then they found there a wall that had fallen down. Some rubble, a half-erected wall. Half of it had fallen down. So Khizr began to do manual labor and started picking up the boulders and reconstructing the wall. Musa al said that if you want to do this, why don't you charge a fee for it? Charge the people of the town some food or some money with which we can buy food. And he didn't join in on the manual labor. Kizr said that here is the point of parting ways between me and you. <inaudible> These are very famous words that have been quoted many times from the Qur'an al kareem that when people separate, many times people use these words of the Qur'an al-Kari'im. هذا فراقم بَيْنِي That This is the Firaq, the Judai. This is the separation between me and you. I shall now explain to you the reality of things about which you could not remain patient. Number one, as for the boat, it belonged, the ferry, it belonged to some poor people who worked at sea. This was their means of living, that they ferried people across from one end to the other. So I deliberately made it defective because there was a king who used to seize every functioning boat by force. And I knew that if the king came upon this boat that he would take it from them and they would lose their means of livelihood. So I made it defective because I know that that king, Allah Ta'ala taught me that that king would not take a defective boat. As for the boy, his parents were believers. We fear that he would impose rebellion and infidelity upon them. I will explain this when I can do this a second time, we therefore wish that their Lord would replace him with someone better than him in piety and more worthy of their affection. And number three, as for the wall, it belonged to two orphan boys in the city and there was a treasure beneath it. That land and the wall belonged to two orphans and there was their monetary treasure beneath it that belonged to them and their father was a pious man. So your Lord willed that they should reach their maturity and dig out their treasure as a mercy from your Lord. I do not do it on my own accord. This is the reality of things about which you could not remain patient. So you have to have the story in front of you as I go through this tafsir. So number one, Sayyidina Musa says to his people that there is nobody who is more knowledgeable than me. Allah reveals to him that yes, there is a servant of mine who has knowledge that I have given him that you don't have. He sets out to meet him. When he meets him, he engages in this pact that I will be silent, I will have summer. Three things happen, and Musa has some questions each of those three things. After the third thing, Khizer says that this is now the parting between us, and after saying that, he goes and explains to him, right, the, th- the th- reasons for doing those three things. All right, number one, first lesson, and there are thirty-eight things, thirty-eight ma'arif that the Mufassirin have mentioned from this short one-two page, one-page story. Right, several ayat of the Qur'an Number one, that even if you are making a statement that is correct about your knowledge, and this is that which I said to you, that this is a Nabi alayhi salam, he should have still said out of his humility or out of proper adab that Allah knows best. And the reason for this is also pointing out that there are two types of ilm. One is known as ilm and the second is known as ilm-i-juz. ilm means to know everything. Musa did not know everything, even though there was something that certainly he was overall more knowledgeable than everybody else on earth. But there would be somebody else on earth who had ilm who had some part of ilm that he didn't have. And therefore he shouldn't have made such an absolute statement, which suggested that he had all of the knowledge. That belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone, the anbiya, no matter how great they are, do not have complete ilm al They do not have all of the knowledge of the unseen, Right? Only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala possesses that knowledge. The second lesson here is that it's better not to travel alone. When Musa salam got this revelation and he made a firm intention to travel, he chose to take a traveling companion with him, and that companion was his khadim on the journey. So to take khidmat from somebody is permissible in the deen. In this case, say the Musa's khadim was Sayyidina Yusha, the most famous khadim. Rasulullah had a whole jamaat of khuddam. But his most famous khadim is Sayyidina Anas radiallahu ta'ala. Anu who is this very famous sahaba, also young man who spent his life in the khidmat or servicing, serving the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The third thing is Imam Bukhari has mentioned the hadith on the story of Sayyidina Khizr in his Bab al tafsir, in his section of Tafsir, And he's mentioned the same hadith in the beginning of his sahih, which is the Bab of Seeking Ill, And the purpose of that is he's trying to show that this a story in the Qur'an al-Kareem teaches us many adab of seeking ilm. Number one adab in that is that a student should go themselves to the teacher. And if you want to get ilm, it is the job of the student to go and travel to the teacher. And this is the way it was done in the olden days. And Imam Bukhari in that same section narrates uh, amal of a sahaba saying that Jabir ibn Abdullah anhu, that he traveled one month's journey just to learn one hadith from uh, ibn Unais who was another sahaba. And so in that, in his hadith, he is joining, right, different themes from this, these verses in the Qur'an al from other ahadith of the Prophet So to travel for the sake of ilm, right, is something that is a worthwhile thing to do. Number four, that age does not matter, right. In seeking ilm, Sayyidina Musa, says some age or maqam does not in any way preclude a person from seeking ilm despite being an old person above the age of 40. Despite being the Nabi of the zaman, Sayyidina Musa still had a deep desire to acquire ilm. So this thirst for knowledge, right, is a lesson that the Qur'an has given us. And in that same section in Bukhari, Imam Bukhari, whom Allah mentions the hadith, in which the Prophet describes the oldest sahaba, old sahaba or older sahaba kiram, seeking ilm, seeking the knowledge of the deen. Number five is that there is no shame in learning from somebody who is lower than you in status. Now, I'm going to do this a bit later. There are two positions on Khizr. One is that he was a Nabi, and the other that he was a Wali. If he was a Wali, then obviously Sayyidina Musa Salam was them, But he did not have any haya in taking ilm from somebody who was lower in maqam than him. If Khizr was a Nabi, even then Sayyidina Musa was a Nabi of the age. Because he got the wahi of the time, and therefore he had the ummah. Hizr does not have any scripture, does not have a kitab, does not have an ummah, does not have people who are following it. Which is part of the reason why people are different views as to whether he was a nabi or a wali. Another famous example of this that I've given some of your classes is the famous tabi saying in the Hassan al-Basri that the sahaba of Basra used to take fatwa from him. Even though he was a tabi and the sahaba is abzal, And this also proves that fatwa or fiqh or ilm is taken from a person who possesses ilm. And even if you're a sahaba and the tabi possesses ilm, you will take that ilm from that tabi. So the non-alim sahaba used to take ilm and legal rulings from the alim tabi. So you can imagine what the non-alim of us should be doing and where we should be taking our knowledge from. Number six is that students should not be lazy, but students have to make mujahidah to acquire ilm. Right? Because Sayyidina Woolf said that I will travel many years. I will travel as many years as it takes to get there. And this Arabic word, hukub, there are different positions on this. Sayyidina Abu Huraira says hukub means 80 years. Sayyidina Ibn Abbas says hukub means a long period of time without it being specified. But either way, it's clear that this Arabic word denotes that they travel for a long period of time. Number seven. In the Sahih of Muslim now, there's a hadith in which the Prophet ﷺ mentions that When Allah, so It's a small point when uh, this is the hadith in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent this revelation and told Musa that our servant Khizr has some knowledge that you don't. So the, it's just mentioning that Musa knew his name. Musa knew the name of this person, that his name was Khizr, even though that name does not come anywhere in him addressing him in the Quran. In Bukhari, the Prophet mentions in the hadith that the reason why this person's name was Khizr. Khizr Khadra means green or lush or verdant. And it's because once he sat down in a barren and dry place, and when he sat there to the barakah of sitting there, the whole area where he sat and the area surrounding it became lush and green with vegetation. This is a date in Bukhari, right? Uh, and again, if you take Khizr to be a Wali, then that means then the Oliya, where they sit, they, begin, they bring a barakah to their place of sitting and to their surroundings. Number nine. Is that Musa and if I had this, we would show it to you, but i just go back and read this to you again. That he is traveling, but once they missed that po- point where they were supposed to stop, and the fish jumped in the sea, when they go onward, then Musa says, right, that we have indeed had much fatigue from this journey of ours. So the notion is that the barakah of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa the madad and nusrat on a safar, lasts when, until and unless you have reached that objective of that journey. If you continue prolong that journey unnecessarily, then that barakah of that, if that journey was for the Deen, then the barakah of that will go down. And that's why Musa when they passed that point, then he began to feel weary. And when he expressed that weariness, that fatigue to the Yusha, then Yusha remembered that, oh yeah, we have actually overstepped and overreached our journey. Number 10 is that Musa alayhi mentions to his companion, that bring us our morning meal. This shows that it is not against tawakkul to make provisions for a journey. Some people go out on a journey and they say, Allah tawakkul. And what does that mean? They make neither provision for themselves on this journey nor for those who leave behind. O Sayyidina Musa salam and Sayyidina Yusha salam, two prophets are on a journey and they had also packed provisions with them. And he asked his companion to take out their provisions so they may eat. What so means the broader lesson here is that making use of the asbab is not against tawakkul. But we are people who must make use of the means, of the causes, of the effects that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put in this world. Number 11 is, and this is a very difficult thing to do, do not rebuke your khadim. <laughs> sayyidina Musa did not get upset. It's sayyidina Yusha, that, oh, jakkar, apne kunai bataya, aapne mani itni din Right? We have wasted so many days, you, you forgot, how could you forget? Nothing. He did not reprimand, and this is the same sunnah of the Prophet saying that Anas said that I spent years in the service of Rasulullah, and never once did the Prophet ever reprimand me, ever chastise me, ever scold me, even though I made many a mistake. <laughs> this is a very high level, and we can tell you it's very difficult to be like this and never rebuke or reprimand a person who is your assistant or your employee, but it is a sunnah of the Anbiya, right? Uh, so that was number 11. Number 12 is that when Musa goes, and I'm going uh, to read this for you, when Musa first meets him, what does he say? And this is going to be in verse number 66. He says that, Mimma uh, means from that, some of the knowledge you have been given. So this shows uh, that a per- student does not have to acquire all knowledge that the teacher possesses. A student can take a teacher for partial knowledge, for some knowledge, for some specific knowledge, and may perhaps have other sources of knowledge other than that teacher. Number thir- 14, Musa Alayhi salam. I'm skipping one, Musa Alayhi salam. Uh, learnt knowledge that is not necessary. He was the Nabi, by being a Nabi, by being given the Wahi, by being given the Torah, by being given the Sharia, he had all knowledge that was necessary. He went out on this quest for knowledge, not knowing what that knowledge was, and therefore he had no way of claiming that the knowledge that Khizr has is necessary for me. So it actually shows, although this may surprise you, the permissibility of acquiring knowledge that is not necessary. But nonetheless... The Mufasreen comment that still Musa Laih-S1 felt that because Allah Ta'ala said that this is not ilm of the dunya. Why? Because Allah Ta'ala said, go back to the Bukhari, that I have bestowed knowledge. Right? Ilm min ladun- from the Quran al-Kareem, min ladunna ilma. I, best- I bestowed knowledge on this person from myself. So what khizra had was Allah bestowed knowledge. So it was still deeni knowledge. That's what Musa Laih-S1 would have thought. It's going to turn out that it's not the case. But Musa Laih-S1 heard this, that it's knowledge from Allah. He wanted that. Even though it wasn't maybe farz. So this is a lesson for us also that we should be very thirsty about ilm of the deen. Even though the ilm of that might not be per se farz or mandatory or obligatory or compulsory or necessary for our salvation. But if it's from Allah, we just because of that nisbat that this Qur'an has come from Allah, every verse has come from Allah, just by virtue of it being from Allah, should entice and motivate us that we would want that knowledge. And that's what happened to Sayyidina Musay When he heard this word, min ladunna ilma, that this ilma has come from you, he set forth. And he wanted that ilm. So that is number 14. Number 15 is that when Musay Saam and Khizr meet, right, a teacher can set conditions and prerequisites and rules of engagement for that person to be their student. This is a Quranic Dalil for the prerequisites that you have at Lums, right? And the student has to choose and has the choice whether they wish to abide by those rules of engagement. And if they do, the teacher should accept them, right? And this is done, right, to initially mention this terms of engagement so that it's also pointing out another lesson that there should be munasabat between the teacher and student. In order to ensure for both sides that that but that congeniality, affinity, compatibility exists, the term should be laid out up front That what the tarz of talim or what the method of instruction or the way of instruction will be, what is allowed and what is not going to be allowed. The sixth thing, which I mentioned, in the beginning of Sayyidim Mursa, says, Inshallah, when he sets out on the stream, that is also an adab to be taken from this passage. Number 70, is that if a student forgets, like he'd say, will say some did, forgot the rules of engagement, forgot the terms of the agreement, and seeks Allah Ta'ala's forgiveness, then he should be forgiven. One or two slips up to a certain point, but the teacher should also allow for perhaps violation of rules once or twice, unknowingly or undeliberately or uncontrollably. Number 18, that Musa a.s. now actually the question here is that did Musa break his promise? This is a big problem because if you say he's a Nabi and he promised Khizr that I'm not going to ask and I promise you that you will find me Sabirah, that you will find me a person of Sabr. So Ibn Hajar Askalani, rahimahullah, who is a very famous Shafi, Faqih and Muhadith and commentator in the Sahih of Bukhari comments on this issue saying that when Musa made this promise. He made this promise in the same way that any of us can make any promise and that promise is subject to the Sharia. That is an unspoken, unwritten, understood thing that if I pledge I'm going to follow you or take you as a teacher, it is subject to the Sharia. If you ask me to do something against the Sharia, then my pledge to you is not binding. Right? And so any type of teacher-student relationship, it's informal, formal, it's by way of a pledge or a promise, it is understood that the Sharia will govern that. And all the more so, given that Musa alayhi is not a follower of the Sharia, but he is a nabi, a legislator, a bringer of the Sharia, then certainly this would have been his understanding. Number 19. Uh, and this is in verse number 76, that you notice that when Musa alayhi salam, and maybe we will have this for you on the board shortly. Hmm? Uh, Musa salam, when he messes up the second time, When he messes up uh, the second time, he says to Hizer that uh, if I ask you about something after this, right? If I ask you about any matter after this, do not make me your sahib. So the student himself should also, the 17th, uh, 18th wisdom is the student himself should have, the student himself should, just plug in the, I to move. The student himself should have the hikmah to n- allow for the withdrawal. The reason for this is many of you heard me also say in classes that in the Islamic tradition and the tradition of the deen, the right of divorce belongs to the student, not to the teacher. But if the student realizes himself that he is not able to fulfill the terms of engagement, is violating those terms of engagement, rather than put the teacher in that state, awkward state where the teacher may feel that he has to uh, bring about that divorce, the student himself should give the ikhtiar to the teacher. And that's what Sayyidina uh, Musa Islam is doing. If after this you get any excuse, any question from me, do not take me as a sign. Take uh, it. So the student himself should give that way out. right? And this in general means the student should be honest about their own progress in ilm. They should monitor their own progress and be honest about that so that they do not put the teacher in that position. That uh, the teacher is forced in, in this awkward position to uh, interrupt the student's studies. Number 20. That when there is firaq of any kind, when, there, when two people part ways. Alright, challenge you. You can see it a bit at the That this is the firaq, the separation between you and me. So, what's going to happen here? is if you look after that, so That I will give you the ta'wil, the explanation, of that which you did not have the ability to bear with patience. So the 20th lesson is that when there is firaq, whether it's between a teacher and student or between any two people, the people should clarify the misunderstanding. They should not part on unclear terms or leave ambiguity, because what will happen is if they part like that, then there will be negativity. That negativity can lead to backbiting. If uh, Khizr did not explain to Musa some, then he would have thought badly of Khizr's whole life. He may have said bad things, gone back to Banisir and said, I met this terrible person, right? And so Khizr, uh, whenever you part, you should always part in such a way that you part in good terms, that you clarify any misunderstandings, and you make sure there are no misgivings. So this is one of the biggest lessons of this surah. Of, of this passage in this surah, of this story of the Qur'an al is that when we part, we should part amicably. Number 21, that even though a person's conscience is clear, still related to this, that even though a person's own conscience is clear, so Khizr knew that I'm getting this ilm from Allah, as you're about to see, he's going to say, so you Khizr could have said, there's no need for me to tell this person, I know I'm correct, because I'm simply doing what Allah has commanded me to do. But even then your own conscience is clear, sometimes you still have to tell others, to clarify the matter for them. So they don't get the wrong impression. So again, some misperceptions are not created because then, when misperceptions are created, then lots of fitnah can occur. So Khizer is doing something which he doesn't have to do. All right. Number uh, the twenty-second lesson is that is from uh, the verse seventy-seven, and that is that they asked him for food. Okay. So that is that is permissible when you're traveling. This won't be considered begging. It's permissible when you're traveling to go to a place and if you have some feeling or hope that the people there may be willing to be hospitable, it's permissible to ask them and specifically here to ask the unbelievers for food. Obviously, it would be necessary that that food would have to be halal for you to eat according to our Sharia. The next thing also mentioned over here is in the bottom when Musa Islam ends and says you could have charged, okay, they put here a fee for it, right? Uh, you could have taken an ajr which here means a wage for it. This also shows that it is permissible to ask for remuneration or monetary compensation for doing khidmat, right? So if you're going to do the khidmat of this town's people by reconstructing their wall, you can ask for khidmat from them. Twenty-fourth lesson is that, and this is from uh, a hadith in Sahih Muslim, and the Prophet صلى said that if people are mistreating you, or people are not being helpful to you, to still have kindness toward them is a virtuous trait, yet life So the people were inhospitable, they didn't grant you food, but nonetheless you still were willing to be kind to them and raise their walls. So this is futuwa in Arabic. This is a type of moral chivalry or a more noble type of morality. That even if somebody does not treat you well, you are willing to be able to treat them well. Then the twenty-fifth lesson, right, is that, and this is also mentioned in this hadith from Sahih Muslim, is that what was really disturbing Sayyidina Muslim was not this last thing; the second thing was still on his mind, which is why did Khizr kill that young boy? And after that, there was just he just couldn't really take it, and he was just bursting. This was the last straw. But what was really disturbing was why did that happen? And that's completely understandable. Being a Nabi, a person of the Sharia, a bringer of the Sharia, to witness murder, which is one of the most great offenses, right? That would certainly offend Sayyidina Musa Islam's sensibilities. But the question is, right, uh, that on what basis did Khizr do this? So that's about to cut. But we should realize that what Khizr did was not a Shari'i thing. was not Shari'i, but it was what we call Taqwini. There are these two things in Arabic, Umur al-Shari'i and Umur al-Takween. Umur al-Shari'i means that those matters, affairs that are legislated, mandated, regulated, and guided to by the Sharia. And Amir al-Takween are these things that was happening to Khizar that Allah SPANTA directly telling him to do something. And those Takweeni Umur lie outside the Sharia. And I'm gonna come back to that. There's a misconception that somehow this realm may perhaps still exist, right? Why did this happen, right? This happened because, as Sayyidina mentions uh, over here, uh, sorry, uh, Sayyidina Khizr mentions the reason for that. So if we jump here up to page. As for the boy, his parents were believers, apprehended that he would impose rebellion and infidelity upon them. We therefore wish that their Lord would replace him with someone better than him in piety and more akin to affection. What happened over here is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the khizr, I'm going to explain this to you in a moment, it's his adab. That if you look at all three things, I'll just go to that, that's the next one. It's the adab of khizr, that he attributes the bad actions to himself and the good actions to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when he mentions destroying the plank, he uses the verb that I had irada for this when he mentions killing, to even make sure it's him, he says, we had the irad, meaning mean using the royal we, so he says exclusively, this was my hope. And then when it's the thing that Allah Ta'ala would do, the good thing, he says, we, I wished that they should not become disbelievers because of their son, and we therefore wish that Allah would replace them, him with someone better than him, and piety and more akin to affection. And the last thing, which is a good act, which is raising the wall, Musa doesn't attribute it to himself. He said, Allah Ta'ala wished that this wall should be, Reconstructed. In a hadith in Sunan al-Nasai, the Prophet mentioned that what was happening here was that this person, the parents deeply loved their son. And Allah Ta'ala knew that their son was going to become an unbeliever. And he was, knew that because of their great love for their son, their son would be such a fitna or a test for them that they would also leave the belief due to love for their son. And Allah Ta'ala wanted to save the iman of their parents. Perhaps there was some other amal they must have done in their life. Due to which Allah Ta'ala wished to do hifazat of their iman. And therefore Allah Ta'ala commanded Khizr to slay that young man. What did he give them in exchange? And Surah Nesai is mentioned that those two parents got a daughter. And that daughter was a pious woman who later became the mother of a Nabi so they became the grandparents of enabi so by sacrificing a son who was a disbeliever they got a grandson who was a prophet another lesson that has been taken from this is that a pious daughter is better than an un- un- unrighteous son to have a pious daughter is better than having a sinning or a unpious son right another lesson that has been taken from the next uh, from verse number 82, which is the third reason, which is that, why did you build the wall? And that is because they had a pious father. Their father was a pious man, right? And what is going on here? This is the baraka of your forefathers. This is what I mentioned to you that day. right? Some people take this literally to mean father, they translate the word of, and it's hakiki mana which means father. Some people say ab is using metaphorically to refer to forefathers and some tafsir say it was seven generations earlier that they had a pious forefather. Allah either it's their father or some forefather but they have some pious predecessors. Due to the barakah of the taqwa of their predecessor, Allah wa ta'ala is commanding the Nabi of the time and the Wali of the time to engage in hard manual labor to rediscover the dunya, the monetary treasure for these people. So the lesson taken from this is that if a person has people of piety in their forefathers, that can benefit them. Because Allah Ta'ala rewards a person of taqwa by putting barakah not just in his life, but putting barakah and sending his own madad and nusrat into the life of his descendants. This is the Qur'anic proof for that. right? Because the reason Khizr is giving is because they had a pious father, a forefather. I think I've lost track But that would have been I think uh, 27 Right 28 is that It's interesting A hadith in Bukhari uh, The Prophet some said that he And this is really people of ilm And people who have a desire for ilm Always get saddened When some ilm goes away A very famous event uh, All of you should know about Ramadan Is that Allah subhanahu was revealing the night of Leila took Qadr to the Prophet ﷺ, but he came out and saw some Sahaba quarreling. And due to that quarreling, Allah Ta'ala took that ilm back from him. Some Muhajjahsiyin say Allah Ta'ala took the ilm back. Others say that Allah Ta'ala took the idun, the permission to reveal that ilm back. And the Prophet ﷺ said that to the companions that because some of you were quarreling, Allah Ta'ala has done that. So imagine then this is the flip side, بِي بركتي. So if you're a person of taqwa, you will have so much barakah that even your descendants will get the mother than Surta of Allah. And if we quarrel and dispute with one another, then we call we become people of lack of barakah. So you can imagine that's true for the sahaba, then for people like us today in this age, if we quarrel and fight with one another over fellow students or fellow seekers and we fight one another, then how that is going to damage the barakah of the transmission of ilm or the transmission of Deen from our elders or from our teachers. Right? So here, in, 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 in the Sahih Bukhari, the Prophet said about Musa right? Uh, and he was bemoaning and grieving at this lack of ilm, that he said that if only Musa could have been patient, then he would have witnessed many more amazing things and we would have come to know about them. And in the Muslim, in Sahih Muslim, there's a similar deed that if Musa had only been patient, he would have seen many more surprises, but unfortunate it is that he kept questioning, may Allah have mercy on him. Actually, the Prophet made du'a like that. May Allah Ta'ala have mercy on him. Right. But these are the way the Anbiya can view one another. This is not our place uh, to be thinking like that. But this is Sayyidina Rasulullah can make dua for the mercy of Musa Islam due to this. But obviously, uh, I won't go uh, more on that. Next, uh, whatever number we are at. Uh, was uh, what i already mentioned to you was this nisbat that it is other to refer things and you know it's going to be too slow on this because I cannot pull up one ayah for you. Uh, I cannot pull up more than one verse on this for you. So I can show it to you really quickly. In the first explanation where Musa salam is, and I will show you um, using this mouse, right? The words that say some uses, uh, sorry that Khizr uses, right? So this is the first explanation, that why did I make that plank? Why did I make that boat defective? Why did I harm that plant? So the key word here is, let's see if this works, فَأَرَدْتُ That I did irada. I did irada of this, right? I did irada to create a defect in this boat. So even though it's an Allah Ta'ala Himself said that we give him Milla لَدُنَّ ilma, The ilma is coming from Allah. But Musa is attributing this action to himself because in the zahir, harming a person's boat, damaging the boat is not a good thing. So the adab of Khizr towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is to attribute this action to himself rather than tell Musa that Allah made me do it. That's his adab, right? This is the first act. The second thing was the (coughs) killing of the boy, right? So over here in the next verse... Watch the word that Khizr uses to explain this. Therefore, we wished, we wished, right? This act of killing, he's saying it's more strong. It's like what in English you call the royal we. He's trying to make it entirely mansoob to him. That it was completely our, his desire to kill that person. He does not want to attribute that. To Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whereas if you look at the third thing, which is the erecting of the wall for the sake of the treasure, right? And you look here in the Arabic language, here he says, where is it? arada It was the Rabb's wish. This is a noble act raising up the wall is in the Zahir a noble act so for that Khizr didn't attribute it to himself this was his humility but this is his adab towards Allah subhanahu but this was part of his ta'dib and ta'lim to Musa Arad the Rub the rabwish and what does he say rabbuka so Musa gets even more to Salli right that it was your Rab so don't be upset or question, Oh, Nabi zaman your rub why he gives me these instructions. It's also your rub who wanted this wall to be erected. As far as the first two things, I do nisput to my irada. <laughs> so those two things were my irada and this thing was the irada of your rub, which is the good thing, which is to raise the wall. Every word of the Qur'an al-Kareem has some hikmat in it, a change in style, a change in person, a change in language. Every single thing they were not able to do it all the time with you, but sometimes like this we try to show it to you, right? So from adatu to na to from I intended, I desired, we, you know, it was all me that desired and your rub that desired. This is another notion then of Adam, that whenever we do something wrong, this is the meaning of matofiki illa billah or wala kuta illa billah. When anything we do that is evil, we attribute it to our nafs and our shaitan. And if anything that we do is good, we attribute it to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, alhamdulillahi rabbil anameen. praise proper, praise itself, all praises are only due to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is a major teaching of Adam over here. Now the question arises, now that we've done these three reasons, right? first question arose is that, is Khizar alayhi salam a Nabi or a wali? The majority of ulama are of the position that he was a nabi because he received communication from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if you are a nabi, that communication is called wahi, revelation. And if you are a wali, that communication is called ilham, which is inspiration. And because our deen teaches us, and obviously our mufassirs are going to understand the story of Musa al Khizr according to the deen of Islam, according to the rest of the Quran and Sunnah. That if a person is a wali and they get ilham inspiration that is against the sharia, they cannot act according to it. So if Khizr was a wali, then that means the information he was getting from Allah would be at ilham. And that would mean he is acting on ilham that is contrary to sharia. And this is a misconception that some other groups have taken from this passage. They say that Khizr was a wali and he got ilham. And our Buzurg, Vobi Ponchoe, and he also gets ilham. And that Poncho e Buzur gets Ilham to do things that are against the Sharia. Such as, he prays Namaz in Medina and doesn't need to pray here. And that you do Hajj around his shrine as opposed to doing Hajj around the Kaaba. <laughs> and the reasons they give for this is Ilham and they try to bring this verse of the Qur'an al But given that if we take the position of the majority of the Jamhur, that Khizr was a Nabi. So what he was getting was Wahi. So Wahi itself is not bound by... Wahi itself is the source of Sharia, so how would it be bound by them? The second question is that can such an occurrence happen again? Right. Now let's say you stick with the position that he is a wali. If, let's say, let's allow for that position, we will still say that it is not possible for a wali who falls under the diet of Sharia because Khizr was operating independently. He was not falling under Musa Hisang, He was not an ummati. He was not amongst the ummah of Musa a.s. And this was a unique thing of the previous anbiya, that their ummas were juzi. Only Rasulullah s.a.w. ummat is kulli. There's every single human being from the advent of the Nabu of the Prophet s.a.w. until the Day of Judgment is part of his ummah. They're either ummah ijama that they've accepted that prophethood, or they're ummah Dawah that they're addressees of that sharia. Whereas in Musa and the previous prophets, their sharia, their nabu was localized. And Khizar was outside of that. So even if he was a wali, he could act contrary to the sharia of Musa because he was outside of that. No wali today is outside the sharia of Muhammad the Mustafa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So therefore this cannot be used as a proof even if to act on some ilham or inspiration outside the sharia, even if you take the position that Khizar was a wali. Part of this debate also to do with the next modif, which is, is he alive? (laughs) Is Khizar alive? Ibn Hajar Eskalani, another book, Al-Isaaba In Isaba is a book uh, on the distinguishing criteria of the Sahaba. Spends about 18-20 pages discussing various reports as to whether he is alive or not. People who have claimed to meet him. Allahu alam, right, about that. Uh, Ibn Hajr takes the position, he prefers the position that he is not alive. Allah knows best, right? Whether he's alive or not. This much we can say that if he is alive, he is also bound by the Sharia of the Prophet The question is, is that is there anybody else, if you take the business that he is a wali, is there anybody else who can get this type of ilm? Are there such special people who get ilham from Allah subhanahu wa Taala? Here there are different, right? Even verses in the Qur'an that suggest people can be inspired, the sunnah established from authentic Hadith of Salatul istikhara suggests that people can be inspired because when you make Dua istikhara you're asking for a type of ilham You're asking for Allah Ta'ala to inspire Your heart as to whether this Decision has khair for you or not There is a Hadith mentioned by Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal, Rahimahullah, A very famous Hanbali The founder of the Hanbali Madhab And a very big muhadith in his Muslim which is a book of Hadith In which he narrates that Ali He arrived in Iraq and there was a fitna going on at that time, a certain political fitna going on at that time in Sham. And the people of Iraq asked him that he should curse the people of Sham. So Sayyidina Ali said, that, By Allah, I will never curse the people of Sham. This is in the Muslim Imam Ahmed bin Hanbal. Because I've heard the Prophet say that there are 40 Abdal in Sham. 40 Abdal. Abdal is meant to be some type of category of human being or some type of category of wali. There are 40 Abdal in Sham such that not a single one of them passes away except that Allah Ta'ala raises somebody or allots or appoints somebody to take his place. Uh, and because of the presence of those Abdal, the hadith is continuing the Hadith, because of the presence of those 40 Abdal, Sham is saved from punishment. And therefore, because I've heard this from my Prophet, saying Ali is saying, I will not do. How can I curse Sham when Sham is the land of 40 Abdal? To this day the ulama of Dimash pride themselves on this hadith and you will find this hadith sometimes written on masajid in Damascus, and often quoted by the ulama of Sham. Some people have taken from this that who are these abdal? Allahu alam, right? Obviously this hadith doesn't represent qati knowledge. It's a high probability that such abdal exist. Who they are and what they do, Allahu alam. But the position of the majority of fuqahahs, even if they get inspiration by Allah SWT. and may do things out of the ordinary or things that are extraordinary but they also cannot do things that are against the sharia so they can do something that what an Arabic could call is khilafi adat but it cannot be khilafi shat it cannot be khilafi sharia it can be khilafi adat maybe they can walk on water Allah <laughs> wallam they can do something that is khilafi adat have some karamat but they cannot do something that is khilafi sharia because everyone wali Abdal, average person, elect, doesn't matter, Siddiqeen, Saddiqeen, Salihin, Muttaqeen, Awliya, everybody is bound by the Sharia and there is no exception to that. There are some things in the story that are not mentioned, right? Uh, and that is something that I would just shout with you. There is no answer to these questions, but it shows you that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not tell us the complete details of the story. Number one is that how did Musa A.S. being a serving Nabi manage to take such a vacation from his ummah? And take a vacation from doing Nabu and go off on this quest with one person? Allahu Alam, right? Allahu alam. Then secondly, there's no mention of Yusha. After they meet Khizr, did Yusha tag along or was his function only up till that point? And after that it was just Sayyidina Musa A.S. and Sayyidina Khizr. Here, I mean, so su- things like this, right, such similar things, you would know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not give us the complete details, perhaps to tell us, again, that these stories are not for the purpose of history. These stories, they're excerpts of historical events, and their purpose is to give us lessons, to teach us something. And that is what I wanted to show you today, this example of tafsir. That number one, you look at all the ayat, and actually the story of Musa is only in this passage. Then you look at all the hadith that are about this. Then by looking at those two together, sometimes even wordings in the Qur'an, it's not just from hadith. Even the wordings in the Qur'an, the sequence of the Qur'an, you extract as many lessons as you can from that. Extract as many lessons as you can from the hadith. So these tafasir are actually gold mines. Because what the Mufassirs did is they used their ilm of the whole Qur'an, of the whole sunnah, to identify those lessons that are meant by particular ayat. Now, when me and you pick up particular ayat, we don't have that treasure of ilm of the whole Qur'an and the whole Sunnah to be able to recognize and to come. You would see yourself, if I just read this on the board and told you come up with 38 lessons, you would not have been able to do that. And this is why we need to study the Qur'an al-Kareem with the benefit of tafsir. With the benefit and the shade of the works of the classical Mufassirin. And we should be very careful of studying Qur'an from people. And this is a big trend in Pakistan that people teach quran without having knowledge of classical tafsir they are self read they are self study having a beard is not sufficient to teach tafsir a beard is not an academic qualification right so you should be very careful to make sure that you take your deen and take the quran from people who have studied that deen and that quran so that you can best benefit from that you have two options either you study it yourself that is a whole sequence you become a doctor That's a way of life. Or you take guidance and cure from the doctor. You take guidance from the ulama. And you will see it inshallah We try in our dars to stick as closely and as carefully as we can. To tafsir from the Quran itself. Tafsir from the Hadith. And tafsir from the authentic classical tafsir. And we present that to you because unfortunately you don't have access to that. Because you don't know the Arabic language. And we feel that this is an amanat that Allah Ta'ala has put on our shoulders that we should share now since we speak a common language. Just the fact that you don't know Arabic should not make you mahroom of this. And we hope that as you continue to see the works and the gems that the Mufassireen have identified, you will come to appreciate the work of tafsir, the Mufassireen. And through that you will come to appreciate properly and truly the shan of the Qur'an al-Kareem. Wa akhirun da'wana. And alhamdulillah, bin